0: I, uh, you know, I'm a music obsessive and I've had some great musical moments. I've met some of my favourites and that's not the one that I would put up there as high as uh, maybe you're thinking. But yeah, we've had Bono's Kiss Janice and um, even in Fitzroy we've had Martin Joseph, we've had Ian Archer jumping on this organ that no longer exists. That was a moment. He'll not be jumping on it this week. Um, Um, all kinds of different moments that I go back through and think that was great. But one of the most precious happened right here up behind me. Bruce Coburn has been one of my favourite singers since I was introduced to him about three doors down on Magdala Street in 1982 or so. And we had him in Fitzroy in August 2012. He sang right here. It was incredible. But i wasn't putting the gig on as i'm not putting over the rhine on um come to that gig buy tickets for that gig here but nigel martin one of the local agents uses us for certain gigs that he thinks would fit and bruce coburn certainly i think he uses us for certain gigs that he think i'll sell more tickets than he would if it went somewhere else i think that's the deal and i'm very happy too so coburn's coming this is my hero for 40 years and um I get nervous around people like Bruce Coburn. So I arrived in early and I thought, well, he's in my church. I suppose I should go and shake his hand, which I don't find easy or don't actually. When I was booking the bands for Greenbelt, I was the last person who went and was introduced to whoever was performing. But I thought I had to because it was the minister. So I came in the old blue door. Do you remember the glory days? And uh, walked up the old stairs, still the same place, but they were, you know, the old. And I could hear this music coming down the stairs at me. And as I kept walking up, I realized, this is not a CD. Bruce Coburn's singing up here. And I got to the old room that's now the kitchen, but was what we, one of the Sunday school classes was in. And the door was ajar. It was about, just open a wee bit. And I looked in. And at that point, I realized, I'm the only other person in the building. And Bruce Coburn's sitting there because I could see him. At one of our wee children's desks, actually. Not feeling particularly comfortable at it. Singing. And I just stood there. He didn't know I was there. I wasn't going to tell him. At least until he finished. And he finished and I shook his hand. He was singing. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. For there shall be the kingdom that the power mongers seek. Blessed are the dead for love and those who cry for peace. And those who love the gift of earth. May their gene pool increase Left like a shadow on the step Where the body was before Shipwrecked at the stable door Left like a shadow on the step Where the body was before Shipwrecked at the stable door What excited me even more was He didn't do that one during the gig I got it all to myself One of my favourite lyrics You can understand why The Beatitudes are in there and then he comes to bring in resurrection and incarnation. Left like a shadow on the step where the body was before. Shipwrecked at the stable door. What does that mean? Well, it comes from Brennan Manning. At the time that Bruce Coburn was writing the Big Circumstance album, he was reading a lot of Brennan Manning. And he, uh, I think it might be The Lion and the Lamb. Is there a book, Lion and the Lamb, Paul? I think there is. And I think one of the chapter headings in Lion and the Lamb is Shipwrecked at the Stable. And uh, in his biography, Coburn talks about Brennan Manning and some different stuff. And then he says, The true Christian path should lead us into the untidy stables of the poor and the oppressed to shovel, I've described it as poo because I'm in Fitzroy, with the Messiah. Instead, many remain shipwrecked, spiritually shipwrecked, foundering on the shoals of their own ambition and indifference. Slick and ridiculous in their genuflections to greed. It's quite a critique of religion. Might be a good critique in modern day America or modern day Northern Ireland. Instead many remain spiritually shipwrecked. Foundering on the shoals of their own ambition and indifference. Slick and ridiculous in their genuflections to greed. What I love about Shipwrecked at the Stable Door, the song, is that Coburn links the Beatitudes with the stable. Now, let's get it straight. There ain't no stable, okay? Poetic license we're using here. There was a manger we know. We don't know whether there was a stable or not. It's unlikely. It was probably in a room uh, that people kept their animals in their own house. But there was a manger. So the idea to link the Beatitudes with the nativity scene has always been my ambition because I've always said and I'm thinking that there might be a book in the gospel according to the nativity scene everything that Jesus teaches in his adult life is right there in that piece of art whatever way we've made that piece of art in the Christmas cards that we sent if we did send any this year everything that Jesus was going to teach is right there in the moment Of his birth, but we're not going into that just at the moment. We're going to Matthew five. We'll come back to the shipwrecks as we go. Matthew five, the Beatitudes, well known to us all. Lovely poetry, very succinct. Used again in a different version in Luke chapter six. But what we want to do is see well where does this sit in Matthew's gospel? And what's the scene around about it? Because so often we just take the Beatitudes. They're maybe on a a card or something, or they're on a poster or something, or we read them separate from even the Sermon on the Mount, to be truthful. So let's get a bit of context. Jesus, he's been born. And Jesus has been calling a few disciples in the chapter before this. Follow me and repent. We looked at that last week. And really early on, therefore, as he calls this bunch of ragamuffins together he says come here I want to tell you something and it would seem that this is the mission launch the Sermon on the Mount the Beatitudes into the Sermon on the Mount that we linger with for the next few weeks that this is the mission launch that ends in Matthew 28 with go into all the world and make disciples of all nations baptizing in the name of the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit that Matthew's declaring Jesus as a teacher he's declaring his followers as disciples and he's setting out this mission that the early church would continue Although it's Luke and not Matthew that tells us that further story. So if we want to know what Jesus was talking about in chapter 4 about repentance. If we want to know what he meant when he said follow me. Then really it's a good place to look in the Sermon on the Mount as to how that works itself out. Let's get the scene together. Jesus it says the disciples come up and he starts teaching them. But let's see what's been going on in chapter 4 as well, because Jesus is starting to become the talk of the town. He's saying things, and he's doing things, and he's calling people to be his disciples, and the religious people are wondering about him already, even though it's not until chapter 9 that Jesus and the Pharisees confront each other in Matthew's gospel. You could think and imagine that in this scene, just let's imagine it, and I am contriving it, and there's a little bit of ice in Jesus in this, but I think it's important to do it. The disciples are there, and around the disciples are these other guys going, what is he on about? What's he talking about? What does he mean to repent? What does he mean follow me? Is he a leader? Is he a teacher? Is he going to go against us? And who are these people that he's dragging out of boats to to follow him? So there's a little bit of that going on on the side. And then what are the disciples thinking at this stage? There they were fishing, catching nothing. There's no recorded catch of fish other than when Jesus throws the net in. They weren't particularly good at that. Um... What are they thinking? Are they thinking to themselves, what is he thinking, gathering us together? Are they thinking, we're not up to this. Whatever this guy's about, we're really not up for it. He really needs to get himself more religious people. He really needs to get himself people that are a wee bit more together than we are. Is that what they're thinking as he starts to tell these? I imagine there's something within those early disciples that are saying, really, us? And so if we take that context, that here, outside of them, at least in their minds, if they're not there physically, and I think they might be there physically, are the really religious, the ones that you would expect God to gather around them. So they're in the fringe, not being taught to. And these ragamuffins who are not very connected with the religious are in the center being taught. Now, if we start to think about it like that, then blessed are, becomes something different in our minds. Now I thought it would be a good thing this week, just for the fun of it, to Google rock songs and the Beatitudes. And there weren't as many as I thought there would be. But I came across um, one that uh, is particularly interesting. Katy Perry. Now don't knock it. Because my t- children have said before, there's a gospel according to Katy Perry in their dad, and I'm going, well I'm, I'm, I'm going to try and keep my cool. Um, but uh, somebody has contrived, and it is a little contrived, it's more contrived than I would do. It's more contrived than I would do, believe it or not. But they have contrived a Katy Perry song with the Beatitudes. And what I want you to hear as I'm saying it is that scene. Here are the disciples. And they're not feeling up to it. And they're not feeling worthy. And they're not feeling at all the blessed ones. And then the blessed ones are out here. And so, what this writer has done, this blogger, and I couldn't even take you to her blog now, but it was interesting, I thought, and I'll, I'll, I'll say. She has linked a Katy Perry lyric and then a Beatitude, and you'll see where we go when we actually go further into the Sermon on the Mount. Do you, be, do you ever feel like a plastic bag? Blessed are the poor in spirit. "'Drifting through the wind, blessed are the meek. "'Do you ever feel feel so paper-thin? "'Blessed are those who mourn. "'Do you ever feel already buried deep? "'Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. "'Do you know that there's still a chance for you? "'You are the light of the world. "'Cause there's a spark in you. "'They put it on its stand. "'It's just gotta ignite the light. "'It gives light to everyone in the house.' And let it shine. Let your light shine. Because baby, you're a firework. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Come on, let your colours burst. Neither do people light a lamp. And now it's time to let it through. And put it under a bowl. Because baby, you're a firework. Let your light shine before others. Come on, show them what you're worth. Is it possible that without having heard Katy Perry and their iPods that the disciples were thinking we're just empty bags we're just paper thin and Jesus was saying to them you're blessed you're blessed what do you mean we're blessed what do you mean we're blessed let's hear what Eugene Peterson paraphrases it you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope With less of you there is more of God and his rule. Blessed not by being religious or having it all together. Blessed when you're at the end of your rope. Now Jesus is saying this to the disciples. Who are feeling unworthy. Who are feeling at the end of the rope. Who are feeling paper thin. Fitzroy, I want you to hear it as yourselves this morning. As a pastoral Blessed are. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you there is more of God and his rule. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one who is most dear to you. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are. No more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink and the best meal you'll ever eat. You're blessed when you care. At that moment of being careful, you find yourselves cared for. You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and heart world put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. There's a promise here. There's a promise here for the disciples as well as a call to live like this and to have this character. The call is follow me and repent and when you follow me and repent and you've got that hunger and you've decided to pull yourself into a room to find out about your inside world so as you can make a difference in the outside world, then Jesus is saying, blessed. Now, what does this blessed mean? It has been translated as happy. I'm really unhappy with that. Um, and what, So this week I was kind of thinking, what can I, kind of, can I define it myself? Surely you're not allowed to do that. But I was trying to find a word that says to us, What does it mean to be blessed in these ways? The ways that Jesus was saying the disciples were blessed. And I would like to say that we in Fitzroy are blessed. And I couldn't help but come into thinking that you're blessed. This blessedness. This blessedness is a knowing. That the kingdom of grace gives insight and perspective to what's going on in your life. That is a blessedness. That the kingdom of God's grace Would give insight and perspective into our lives. Blessed are those who mourn. Because God's grace gives us an insight and perspective. Into what's happening in the greater scheme of things. Blessed are those who are meek. For the kingdom of God's grace gives them insight and perspective. To know that the first will be last. And the last will be first. Blessed are those who are peacemakers. Because they know that the ark of the 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 scriptures. Not just the gospels. Is about shalom, reconciliation, peace not only with God and humanity, but with humanity and humanity and humanity and the earth and the earth, as it tells us in Romans. So we're blessed when we're peacemakers because we know that the kingdom of grace gives us insight and perspective to know that that is number one on the agenda of God bringing the world to that peace that the angels declared when the baby was born in the manger unless we get shipwrecked at the stable door so this is a promise for sure but it's more than a promise we know that it's a call for us to live this upside down world that seems to be completely different than the world outside in fact if we go back to Coburn's comments and these comments are about other people who claim to believe Jesus. Instead, many remain spiritually shipwrecked, foundering on the shoals of their own ambition and indifference. There's no ambition and indifference in the Beatitudes. Slick and ridiculous in their genuflections to greed. There's none of that in the Beatitudes. But if we look at our world today, our Western world today, then we find a world where it seems to be right to be overambitious And to be indifferent to other people as long as we're first. It seems that slick and ridiculous genuflections to greed are happening across our world. And that's the way to get on. But knowing the kingdom of God's grace. Having his perspective and insight. Changes the way we live. Because there's an upside downness to this new call to repent and follow. And so we go into Micah 6, and I'm not going to spend long in Micah 6, but it's an amazing passage that Jonathan read to us. At the start, God and his people are having a bit of a row, and then God reminds them that that actually he's done a lot for them. And then they think, yeah, you're right, we need to repent. How many cows can we give you, Lord? And he said, I don't want your cows. This is what I want, that you would do justice and love kindness And walk humbly with your God. You see what we find out. Is that God doesn't want our sacrifice and worship. He wants us as people. Changed and transformed. Into his likeness. As well as a promise the Beatitudes. Are the person. That God wants to make us into. This is what it is to be a Christian. This is what it is to repent. This is what it is to follow Jesus through the stable door and into the places that he lived and called us to live in. But let's give the danger sign, the warning. We cannot take our eyes off this call or we end up being ambitious and indifferent to we can get ourselves caught up with creed, ethical questions, missional exploits, and we can lose the core idea. I was um, Googling yesterday and somehow came across an old uh, Contemporary Christianity uh, Northern Ireland uh, webpage when it was um, contribution, contribution to peace, in Northern, that, whatever that was. Right at the top of the, the page, by the way, was Stanley MacDonald, our very own, and an article of his. But just a few down was David Montgomery, and it looked as if it might be of interest to what I was doing, so I looked it up. And and, in this article, Monty's talking about pastoring. He's actually talking about the conversion of those he pastors. Take it as you will. Um, And he said he encountered someone, I'll read it. I encountered someone who, through their very public uh, Christian ministry and vocal, uh, who were very public in their Christian ministry and vocal in their evangelical belief. But who were being frighteningly ungracious, aggressive and slanderous towards another believer? A wise and respected older minister told me not to worry that this was the characteristic of the person in question. who, he said seriously, simply needed to be converted. Preacher, calling it, proclaiming it, knew their theology, but their lack of beatitudes. And their lack of Micah 6 suggested that actually they needed grace, Jesus, repentance, and a follow. Isaiah 29 and 13 says, Those who honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. God wants our heart. God wants our heart. The way we go about our interactions are vital to him. It's very easy to get shipwrecked at the stable door. So let me finally finish by saying that I couldn't believe that Micah six was our reading this week, because every time I hear Micah six and verse eight, I think of Morris Horace, and Margaret, his wife, passed away this week. It was the verse that we used at Morris's funeral. It's the verse that makes me think of Morris every time I hear it. Because here was a couple. Morris and Margaret Horace. Who did not ever get shipwrecked at the stable door. They were blessed and knew the promise of blessing. They had an insight into God's kingdom and its perspective. And the word is, and I will use it tomorrow at Margaret's funeral. The word is authenticity oh he had a sharp mind oh he knew his theology but it wasn't just important to have the theology for Morris and Margaret they needed to be living it and every time you were in their space you sensed that grace every time you were in their space you sensed that blessing of the Beatitudes every time you spoke to them you knew you were meeting the Jesus that they followed and that's why it was as hard for this congregation as Margaret when she decided just a couple of years ago that she couldn't come every Sunday morning. Because I'll be honest, nobody in this congregation has ever given me the encouragement that Margaret Harris gave me time and time again. Margaret and Morris came, one of their last times out together as a couple was we at a little festival at the end of my first year when I was a wee bit naive and was still living in an idealistic world. I wouldn't do that festival now. Uh, Well, I would do it now, but I wouldn't do it in the first year I was here. Um, And I had uh, mud, fish. Matthew was raking it up there, and the PA at the time wasn't good enough. It's better now. And mud, fish were giving it as loud as they could give it. The speakers were banging off the walls, and Margaret and Morris were down there in the middle of the congregation, and I was sitting going, not the night for those two really to be out. And they came to me, and I want to tell you, I was standing right here, and I will never forget where I was standing. When I kind of went to them apologetically to shake their hand, and they both looked at me and said, Wonderful. We are learning every day. Thank you. Authenticity. If Morris had said, or Margaret had said, Steve, what were you thinking? We should have stayed at home. I would have said, what was a thinking? You should have stayed at home. But that wasn't the authentic Christian faith that they had. That's what God wants. And here's the political punch. That's what he wants in this election. When we decide how we're going to vote, he wants us to vote for authenticity for the Beatitudes for the Micah 6 8 candidate for the shalom that Jesus died for this has been a great wee series on Sunday nights and tonight actually the blessedness of tonight it wasn't lost on me as I prepared as Rose and Rachel come to share with us tonight that they've known this other perspective and insight of the kingdom and if you want to come tonight and hear how this applies to individuals then please do But two weeks ago, Michael Blythman, one of our congregation, was asked about why he got involved in working with drug addiction. I was going to say, how Michael got involved in drug addiction. But Michael's not involved in drug addiction. He's involved in trying to heal people who are uh, in drug addiction. And uh, he said this very simple phrase that he didn't even remember after it. He said, well, I was a Christian. I was living in Dublin. What did that mean? And for him with HIV and AIDS so prevalent at the time... He felt that it meant for him that he needed to get right on the money with what was most important in his city at that moment of his life. So we're Christians. We're living in Belfast. What does that mean? I think Matthew 5 and Micah 6 help us to understand. Let's pray together. Lord, give us authenticity. When we're crowded out with our culture, our religiosity, we pray we would not get shipwrecked, Lord, at the stable door, but that we would go through that door to where Jesus lived and served and called people and saved people and saved communities. Lord, we're Christians. We're living in Belfast. What does that mean? By your Spirit, lead us into the week. Not only thinking about that question, but answering it by your Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen.